for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to this edition of BizTalk. I'm Guanxing in Beijing. Today, we bring two of the most influential leaders in global business sector. In this episode, we'll be speaking with the CEO of Airbus, a leading aircraft manufacturer, as well as global chairman of PwC, one of the world's largest consultancy firms. Our first guest has been at the helm of Airbus, overseeing the company's operations and innovation strategies, and leading the aviation industry through unprecedented times. We'll be discussing with him the company's vision for the future of air travel, the latest technological advancements, as well as his recent visit to China to strengthen China-Europe economic ties. Mr. Fori, thank you for joining us on CGTN. Let's start with President Macron's visit in China. In what areas do you think the state visit by President Macron will improve the economic ties between China and France? As Airbus, I'm very happy to speak about aviation, the recovery of um, the traffic and the connectivity between the different parts of the world. In my view, is uh, very important. So we will be uh, celebrating. Uh, this um, connection between the countries, uh, between Europe and, and China, moving forward, uh, but as well speaking about um, some businesses and um, yeah, um, increasing the production here in um, in Tianjin for us or in China, as we have many plants in China, uh, but as well uh, looking for orders moving forward and also developing the sustainable aviation fuel activity, which is a way to decarbonize aviation as the aviation keeps growing. How do you envision the prospects of China-Europe cooperation in industry and what role do you see Airbus in uh, playing in shaping this partnership forward? I think Airbus is a very nice blueprint of what um, China and Europe can achieve together. Uh, we've been investing in China for a long period of time. Now with this uh, second file, with the, the production of wings, the equipping of the wings for the planes which are assembled here in, uh, in China, uh, we are present on most of our products uh, with some uh, production in China. We are buying from China and this is therefore a cooperation that benefits both sides and at the end that benefits to the, to the public with the ability to fly. So it's a global partnership. Aviation is a very global business by nature, and that's one of the uh, yes, um, good examples of what the, the two parts of the world, the Chinese and the European stakeholders, can achieve together. How has Airbus been working with supply chains in China, and how do you see the resilience of China's supply chains? Well, that's been quite amazing to see the resilience in spite of all the difficulties in the last three years in China, uh, but also around the world. And we've managed to keep producing planes at a slower rate, but still producing planes uh, during the pandemic and then uh, growing again. But it's fair to say that um, in the ramp up that uh, we are facing now, uh, the supply chains are challenged. There are shortages of uh, raw material, of labor, and uh, educated labor, trained labor. A lot of people have left. We need to hire again and train, and it takes time. Uh, but also shortages of microelectronic components. So it's not easy for the supply chains to recover from that shock. And it takes more time to recover on the supply side than on the demand side. And therefore, we, th we see that tension that um, uh, is a problem for the speed of recovery. At Airbus, last year, uh, we were still not at the pre-pandemic level in terms of deliveries, and it will still take years to be back of where we were in 2019 because of the supply tensions. 
In light of the growing emphasis on sustainability and green energy in China, how does Airbus align its priorities with China's zero carbon goals? Well, the aviation as a whole has taken the objective to be carbon neutral by 2050. Uh, at Airbus, we took the lead very early in the process before the pandemic to decarbonize um, the, uh, the aviation and our own activities. There are different steps. Uh, the first step is to deliver the current generation of planes because they burn by far less fuel and therefore less emissions and on top they're capable of 50% of sustainable aviation fuels. So we can start to use those fuels and decarbonize. We're preparing the next generation of planes that will again reduce the fuel burn by around 25% and they will be capable of 100% of sustainable aviation fuels. So that's the way to go to 2050 with planes that will be uh, fully decarbonized and economically viable with more expensive sustainable aviation fuels. And on the longer term, at Airbus, we have launched the development of the first hydrogen-powered plane for entry into service in 2035. So we have a full range of products to go to the decarbonized aviation of the future. I look forward to it. Well, China is also pushing ahead uh, in its renewable energy. How is the cooperation with China's uh, renewable energy sector? We are at the beginning of the ramp-up of uh, sustainable aviation fuels. We are very happy to uh, sign a, an agreement um, um, on the sustainable aviation fuel with uh, the fuel provider here in China for all uh, airports and, and companies with the objective to contribute to the 10% of use of SAF by 2030. And that's what we would be targeting for China with this agreement. What is your impression of uh, Airbus' performance in China in the past three years? And as China relaxed its COVID policies, demand is going to pick up this year. And how important is China market to Airbus in years to come? The Chinese market has always been important in the past uh, years, um, including during the pandemic, uh, in terms of deliveries of planes. But this has to be uh, driven by the traffic and the traffic is indeed recovering, as you uh, said before. Uh, we will be uh, coming to the 2019 uh, traffic globally uh, this year and probably in 2024 in Asia. So we have the pandemic behind us. Now the growth of the traffic is driven by the GDP and by the economy and by the appetite for flight. So we are happy to have to serve uh, this market. And actually today, the demand is higher than the capacity to supply, both for the, for the traffic, uh, for the passengers, uh, for the airlines, but as well for uh, Airbus. So we're really on the rise and trying to ramp up as fast as we can. Global economy, what do you think about the uh, economic landscape and that is going to affect Airbus's business in the future. And how is Airbus preparing for possible uh, risks of downturn and disruptions? We are in a world of uh, fast-changing situations, uh, interdependencies in the world, and having a global business as uh, aviation, we are trying to de-risk, as we uh, discussed before. One way of de-risking is trying to be present in the different regions of the world, um, going from one final assembly line to a second final assembly line is also a way to have the ability to uh, deliver from China to China and Asia and potentially the rest of the world as well. So we're trying to be resilient in different ways, in the way we source, in the way we produce and in the way we serve the customers. What do you think China and Europe should join efforts to work on to promote global economic stability and recovery? Aviation is trying to take its share by recovering, by connecting the world. I absolutely believe 
that uh, having people meeting face to face, knowing each other, is increasing the mutual understanding and the ability to prosper together. And this is mutually good for, for all parties. So aviation is an enabler um, of prosperity and peace and uh, good understanding between the people. That's what we're trying to bring. Uh, that's, that's our share. And now you're at the helm of the, one of the largest multinational companies in the world. Do you see challenges for globalization? Do you think the principle of open market and free trade will be challenged in the future? Indeed, we saw in the last years many hurdles, many challenges for globalization. Uh, the pandemic was one of them. Uh, there are others, uh, the conflicts are one. There's a way to adapt to it. There's also a way to try to prevent them. And we believe aviation space to some extent and the business we are contributing to are helping to reduce the tensions, uh, to have people knowing each other, better understanding each other and uh, cooperating rather than conflicting. So that's the, the part uh, I like to support, which is what the role that aviation place for uh, humankind. Now let's talk a bit about your vision for the future of the aviation industry and what role do you see Airbus playing in shaping that future? I believe aviation is a, is a good for humanity and uh, it has to face the challenges of global warming like many other industries. Uh, aviation accounts for 2 to 2.5 percent of the carbon emissions of the world and if we want to end over aviation to the next generations we have to decarbonize. So the biggest challenge for us is uh, this decarbonization of aviation. It comes with digitalization, that is an enabler uh, of competitiveness, of design, of uh, production of the planes of the next generation. Uh, but again, we've put decarbonization as the top, top priority um, of the company, of uh, the aviation sector. Uh, we are driving this with uh, our products, technologies, also through cooperations, because we need to improve the products, the planes, but we also need to uh, produce the fuels the decarbonized fuels that will um, be used to fly in a decarbonized way in the future. And this is a broader challenge. This is a challenge where we need regulators, we need governments, we need airports, we need airlines, and we need the fuel producers. And we are trying to play the role of catalyst in organizing this and supporting uh, this change from today, where we uh, use mainly kerosene, therefore carbon intensive fuels, to 2050 where we will need to use decarbonized um, energies and decarbonized planes. What is the innovation strategy of Airbus and how do you encourage innovation? And tell us about some potential technological advancements that could change the global aviation industry in the future. Airbus has been pioneering aviation now for decades with a spirit of innovation, of bringing to the market new technologies. We are partnering around the world with a lot of suppliers, uh, of other companies to always try to understand better what are the technologies that can drive progress. Uh, we started with a fly-by-wire on the single-aisle family that is now very popular. Uh, three decades ago, we've introduced uh, carbon planes and a lot of new technologies to be lighter, uh, to be more comfortable, uh, to uh, be more efficient, uh, more competitive. And over the years, we've managed to fly in a very safe way. Aviation is now the safest way to travel on the planet. That's quite amazing when we know that we fly at such a high altitude and, and high speed, also in a very comfortable way and in a very economical way. And the next challenge 
is indeed to do it in a sustainable way. That's the big transition we're organizing now with all the new technologies and the vibrant ecosystem on innovation around the world and here in China as well. And I know Airbus has an R&D center in China. How is the technological cooperation with China going? Well, actually, we are growing our capabilities in R&D, in production, in the ability to source uh, sustainable aviation fuels to go decarbonized, also on the end of life of the products. So we are covering the full spectrum of activities and investing because the Chinese market, the, the, the aviation market, is on the rise and the plan is to double very quickly. So we need to serve and Airbus is bringing its chair to contribute to this uh, doubling of the market in the next years. As you are managing a very complex global supply chain, how do you ensure that the standard of safety be met globally? Actually, safety is my chief priority. Flying passengers in a safe way is the first and primary objective that we have. Even at a very high cost to ensure? Indeed, it's, um, it's expensive, but it's necessary. That's what the passengers are expecting today, and, and they're right to expect it. We have a global supply chain. We have sort of three million parts per plane. So indeed, it's a lot of complexity, and we're relying on standards that have been developed over the years and over the decades, and we're sticking to those standards very carefully. We're testing along the chain all what we're doing, and we keep improving the standards to make sure that as we ramp up the production, the volumes, as we see more people flying around the world, the level of safety keeps uh, getting better. And just to give one figure, uh, today there will be uh, 5 million people taking off and landing on an Airbus plane in the world. So it's sort of 5 million people a day, and it shows the level of uh, expectation that we need to have on safety to make sure that all those people can land um, at destination in a safe way. Indeed, that comes with great responsibility. Indeed. <laughs> what do you think about China's economic outlook? Has China relaxed COVID policies recently? Do you think uh, the economy will pick up this year? I want to be quite humble. I'm just <laughs> back in China after three years not being in country and I've been traveling here in China, I'm spending time in Beijing and in Tianjin, but I find that the China I was used to uh, and a lot of activity, a lot of energy, a lot of drive for the future. Uh, so yeah, I'm very optimistic that uh, the things will keep improving and um, people will be traveling again and uh, that the things will keep going better. That's what we're working for. Well, China has reiterated its commitment to further opening up to the world and uh, make high-quality use of foreign investments. What do you think about China's business environment? We keep investing um, consistently with what we have done so far. That has been quite successful. We grow the capacity, especially for the single aisle. That is a very big success story for Airbus and for China here in country. And with the reopening of the world, the reopening of China to the world, uh, we think that's the direction that um, we, we are right to, to believe in. So yeah, we are very optimistic for the future. I'm here to uh, contribute to further investment in China. Airbus is investing, Airbus is growing in China. Uh, so we believe in the growth. Uh, we like uh, the ability to do business here. Uh, we have a very good cooperation with uh, several partners of the aviation sector that has been beneficial for Airbus. And we keep working in that spirit of a good cooperation with our partners here in China. Mm -hmm. And what is your view of China's uh, jet producing industry? Airbus is producing uh, planes uh, domestically. Um, actually, we have just delivered the 600th plane manufactured in Tianjin for an Airbus fleet in China that is uh, slightly north of 2,000 planes. So it means that 30% 
of the Airbus planes which are flying here in China have been manufactured uh, in China, in Tianjin. So that speaks for the, the, the strength of the investment that Airbus made over the years and of the quality of the workforce, of the support of the partners to make this happen. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Coming up next, we'll be speaking to a prominent figure in a business community responsible for the overall strategy of one of the world's largest consultancy firms. We'll be discussing with him the role of businesses in creating a more sustainable future, the challenges and opportunities facing the global economy, and his views on the recent trends that shape the future of work. Ms. Morris, thank you so much for joining us on CTTN. Great to be here today. So a recent PwC survey found the record pessimism among global CEOs. Do you share the pessimism and how should business navigate a challenging global environment? So first, I do think the pessimism that we see today is justified. You see macroeconomic volatility, rising interest rates, inflation, supply chain issues. You see increasing geopolitical tensions around the world and we're clearly still dealing with the effects of COVID and the war and are consistent across most of the sectors. Having said that, there are some bright spots that companies that are well-equipped, experienced, and willing to take some risks should be able to take advantage of the opportunities for they themselves as well as their stakeholders. What's your view on China's economic outlook as it bounced back from the COVID pandemic? It's clear through that PwC CEO survey that China was one of the brighter spots in the survey, not per se from its perspective of its view on the global economy, but rather its view on the domestic economy. And here you saw an uptick in the confidence. It'll probably be one of the high points in terms of countries around the world as we look to calendar 2023. You mentioned the policy changes of the government. Do you take heart from these changes? I think there's opportunity from the changes that have been put forth. You see a support of the real estate market more broadly. You see a focus on the domestic agenda and the strength of the consumer. You see an opportunity for more urbanization, even yes. though it's record high in terms of what's happened here in China, cutting across the mega cities. And you see as well a willingness to invest again outside of China in some of the global international investment opportunities as you think about investment needed to come into China and likewise some of the investment to be made outside of China. So these policy decisions and macroeconomic policy moves should be beneficial to the economy assuming that the consumer is continuing to spend and that the labor force is continuing to educate. The big thing here is to make sure that the concepts of digitization and climate change are brought into the agenda for China to make it attractive for visitors, for residents and citizens of China itself. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese government has reiterated its commitment to uh, opening up further to the world economy and share the development opportunities with uh, global investors. How do you perceive the investment climate in China and what opportunity do you see for foreign businesses? So there's plenty of opportunity. I think when you look at the size of the China economy, when you look at the amount of innovation that comes out of China. But I do think China has to continue to make it easier to actually come into China. And in a very competitive world right now, where many are looking to diversify their supply chains, for example, yes, or bring them home, so to speak. While there is opportunity for direct investment and the need to do so, 
China will have to realize that it has to be more competitive in, I think, what is going to be an increasingly competitive world going forward. Indeed. In terms of improving competitiveness, is, uh, how would you recommend for foreign businesses to do with the China market? Do they need to de-risk their investment in China given uh, the changes taking place? I think this very much depends on the business you have and the sector you're in as well as the maturity of that business. For those that are trying to enter the Chinese marketplace, they have to think carefully around their opportunities in China versus the rest of the world and think about the various risks that are there. But I think each organization now has to, in order to be successful, be much more agile, be able to make speedier decisions in a world of tough choices, and to be able to scale as effectively as possible to get the ROI from those investments. And that's not per se just in China, that's around the entirety of the world because the world has been so unpredictable and I think there will be a degree of unpredictability going forward so the ones that can move the fastest with certainty, be able to take advantage of opportunities and minimize the downside risks and scale those opportunities are the ones that are gonna be successful going forward. We see organizations around the world having to drive change and transform themselves. Said differently, they need to disrupt themselves. And you saw that around the world where 40% of the CEOs said uh, they will not be in existence in 10 years with their current operating model unless they make significant change. That number is even higher here in, in China, rather, um, in terms of 70 plus percent said that. So there's a recognition that there's a need to drive change, not only to maximize the ROI from the investment, but to actually transform themselves to be successful going forward for the benefit of them, their investors, and all their stakeholders. You mentioned um, the development opportunities in China, but also uh, China needs to improve the uh, competitiveness in terms of supply chains. So um, what exactly do you think about the investment outlook of this China market? Um, do you think you recommend foreign enterprises to enter China? What about the uh, regulatory landscape for them? Yeah, so I think when you look at organizations, you have to first step back and say, can I actually be competitive in the local marketplace? If the answer to that is yes, and the ease of starting or maybe accelerating your investment in this country is positive, the next question you have to ask is, what is the ROI compared to other ROIs in other markets? Those are your three basic questions. And I think there's a big opportunity here in China, assuming you can answer yes to those very first three questions to take advantage of them. Um, China is rebalancing its economy to rely more on internal demand. Uh, how would you evaluate the changes and uh, what do you suggest for businesses to adapt to this shift? And how do you see the potential of China's domestic consumption? Yeah, there's two elements in, that, in your question. First is to make sure that the policies that the government's put in place are really incenting um, the consumption of the country in new and different ways. Um, and organizations need to watch that very carefully in terms of how can they then serve with either goods or services that local consumer. It's clear that the domestic agenda is gonna be a key priority. So not only can the home offices of Chinese organizations pay attention to that, foreign institutions will need to pay attention to that as well. So client centricity will be very important. The second thing that the old ways of identifying a consumer, um, gaining their loyalty, providing them goods and services in an effective and efficient way, and then maintaining that loyalty for repeat sales is gonna be important, but doing it in new and different ways with data, AI, and other 
technology advances, I think are also going to be equally as important as you look at the domestic agenda. And that's critical here in China because China's probably got one of the most advanced digital ages in front of it in terms of not only what it's done previously, but candidly what's going to happen over the next decade. So that speed of change is going to be very important to watch for organizations, be it domestic or foreign. China is also committed to, uh, to fighting climate change by reaching carbon neutral by 2060. What is your comment on China's actions in this regard and how should businesses adapt their strategies to this trend? There's two elements that have to be thought about. One is the amount of capital that goes to mitigation and the transition of a good energy transition plan over time. And the second is adaptation and making sure that we're adapting as well. And both of these are very important. In the past five, 10 years or so, we probably focused more so on mitigation, not adaptation. And I do think we've got to look at both today. When you talk about companies and what they can be doing here, first, I do think they need to have set for themselves a goal that's ambitious, more speedy in terms of timeliness, and is baked into their strategy, not bolted onto their strategy. They need to ensure that there's incentives for compensation to change behavior. Behavior of their employees and their leadership teams, but equally as important, change the behavior of the consumer. And that's equally as important. And last but not least is to change the way you do business. Change your supply chain, your business processes, your use of energy, etc., And report so the world can see the progress you're making and the accountability. Because as we know, climate change is not limited by the geographic borders of any one country. The effects are far bigger than that. Mm -hmm. If I may, I'd like to ask you about your comment on China's role in the world economy, because China is uh, uh, playing a uh, like bigger role in regional economic integration and uh, world economic cooperation. What is your expectation of it going forward? Well, the Chinese economy is, a, is and will be an important player to the global economy, and that is clear and is not going to be something that we're going to debate. But as a result of that, I do think you would want to see more of China in the debates at the table. Um, you want to see more of them in the standard settings that are out there. Let, let me be clear, as we, for example, the various meetings that are happening around the world around climate change, for example, around reporting on climate change, around the innovations and venture capital that should be brought to these issues. The more we can share, the better off we'll be the faster people can learn from one another and explore. And we need China to be at the table as well. So the role on the global economy, while large, has to be met with equality in terms of the participation of the Chinese to actually work together to try to solve for some of the challenges that exist today. Thank you so much for sharing with us. You're welcome. Nice to be here today. As we conclude this edition of BizTalk, we're impressed by the positive outlook both our guests have for Chinese economy and market. Our first guest emphasized the importance of China as a key market for Airbus and their commitment to strengthening ties between China and Europe. Our second guest acknowledged the Chinese economy as a bright spot of global growth and highlighted the immense opportunities for businesses to tap into the country's significant potential. It's clear that the future of global economy and various industries will be influenced by China's growth and transformation. And business leaders like our guests today will play a crucial role in shaping the path forward. And that's all for this edition of BizTalk. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, bye for now.